Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia. I'm your host, Gemma Purdy, from the Australia Indonesia Centre. Today's topic is the economic shock of COVID-19 and its impact on Indonesia's poor and most vulnerable. From an economy that was following a healthy growth trend and was the envy of many globally, Indonesia is now facing massive economic contractions. Alongside this healthy economic growth was a steady decline in poverty levels. But as it has elsewhere in the world, the pandemic has thrown those trends and projections into disarray. Moreover, unlike the last two big economic crises in Indonesia in 98 and 07-08, Indonesia's large informal sector, comprising many of those most vulnerable workers, is also being hit hard. Joining me today to talk about recent research into the impacts of COVID-19 on poverty levels in Indonesia and the government's response is Atia Yumna, Deputy Director of Research and Outreach at the Smeru Research Institute in Jakarta. Atia, thank you so much for being there and welcome. Thank you, Gemma. I'm really grateful to be here as well. Well, Atia, I thought perhaps you might be able to start by setting the scene for us a little bit. What is the mood in Indonesia at the moment? Is there a sense of anxiety about the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdown? And maybe also say something about where are people at in terms of their trust in the government? We know that early on there was concern that the government was not being open enough with the extent of the emergency. So, yeah, could you just tell us a little bit about how people are feeling? Yeah, at first, it seems that people see that the government is a bit stuttered to handle this this crisis. So you may also know that at first, at the beginning of March, when the first infection cases found in Indonesia, a lot of people already suspect that the cases is already uh, here in Indonesia since February or even in January. But then uh, the government keep deny it. And once they announced the first cases of the COVID-19 at the 2nd of March, then people think that the government is a bit started to handle this crisis. So, but it's appear after the partial lockdown, especially in Greater Jakarta since mid-March and then a bit um, more uh, tight lockdown uh, in Jakarta since 10 of April. Now we saw, I think last Monday, the addition of new positive cases uh, shows sign of slowing down. So, but this is, of course, early projection that the curve is flattened, but we do hope with this lockdown in the, in the next two or three weeks, because we, we will face also the festivities, uh, the Idul Fitri festive in, in the next three weeks, we do hope that the slowing down is continuing. So 
do you think that people have kind of now that the lockdown is in place across most parts of the country and that Mudik has been cancelled as such, that is people were told by Jokowi that they cannot return home to the villages for, for Ramadan and for Idul Fitri. Do you think that now there's a, a growing sense of maybe calm and that this is normal for a while? Yeah, it's quiet. Maybe people are quite shocked because this is uh, the biggest festivities in Indonesia. But with I think the government is on the right track. It's the uh, right policy mm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the lockdown is having a good impact, as you describe it, on the, the number of cases of COVID-19 in the community. But at the same time, it's having this incredible shock on the economy as it is around the world and in Indonesia. And there at Smeru, you've been doing research over the last months about this impact on particularly the most vulnerable people. Can you say something to us about how this you see this impacting in the short term and in the medium term? So indeed, it's impacted the most uh, vulnerable people in Indonesia, especially at the epicenter of the pandemic, is in Greater Jakarta and West Java. So the most sectors that, that were impacted is urban informal sector. So informal sector in Indonesia is about two thirds of the size of working people. So it's quite huge, the one that are affected by this crisis. So this kind of health crisis turned to be multidimensional crisis, actually, as we may see in, in other, uh, in the rest of the world as well. So... At Smeru, we do have a projection, uh, we do have study on, on how this health crisis has impacted on, on the poverty, especially in particular. Before COVID, the trajectory of poverty reduction in, in Indonesia is quite promising because we reached the poverty level below 10% in late 2019. To be precise, it's 9.2% in September 2019. But then with this crisis, we projected that the poverty will rise again in 2020 because the channeling is through the growth, yeah? Because the economic growth is reducing and then it will impact you to poverty level. Yeah, the 9.2% of the population, that's about mm-hmm. 24 million people, isn't it? It's about 20, yeah. 24 million. The Smeru report has a whole range of of figures that have come from different places about how Indonesia's economy is going to contract in the the next 12 months or so. It's a big range, isn't it? It's anywhere between 1% drop only to a full 5% drop. So you're working within that range. So what are the projections for an increase in these poverty levels? So with the best scenario reduction, this crisis will reduce economic growth by 1%. We find that under those growth, the poverty rate will increase from 9.2% in September late year to 9.7% by the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. So this implies 1.3 million more people will be pushed into poverty. But with the worst scenario, under the most severe projection, the poverty rate will increase to 12.4%. So implying 8.5 million more people becoming poor. So this figure, 12.5%, was actually the figures we got five to nine years ago. And Athea, while we're talking about levels of poverty, it seems quite abstract, but can you tell us what is the measure 
for a level of poverty? What is the measure that you use that different government agencies use? It's National Poverty Line, recorded by Statistics of Indonesia. So it means uh, they calculate the National Poverty Line. It's above $1.9 PPP, but it, it's around $2.1 PPP, actually. So whatever happens, best case or worst case scenario, we're looking at a reverse of the trend was actually looking quite positive. The government has stepped in to introduce a raft of social safety net packages or offers. And it, it's quite a big number, 110 trillion rupiah, which I think is around 7 billion US dollars. That's not insignificant, right? It's uh, in terms of absolute uh, number, it's, it's big, but I think it's in percentage of GDP, it's not really big. Yeah. What does it include, Atia? What kinds of offers are they making to Indonesia's most vulnerable? This social safety net in, in this package, as they call it stimulus package two. There are uh, several programs. One is additional conditional cash transfer to the most vulnerable families. It's called PKH, Program Keluarga Harapan. And then they also give food stamp, you, you can call it a food program. And then they have also a program on Kartu Prakerja, it's employment creation program. They have also uh, the stimulus for small and medium enterprises. So that's that's and the other one is the stimulus for the the buffer stock for staple food and other uh, commodities. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's cash handouts. And Atia, it also includes some kind of electricity subsidy or discount. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's included in the uh, stimulus as well. Mm. So how many people is this reaching, these social security packages? The data is a bit of a problem because each program has their own, actually their own beneficiaries. So I think for this electricity, they at first they say that they will reach around 7 million people. We suggest that this is not enough to reach the vulnerable because uh, with the latest data, there are more than 35 million people who are truly with the lowest consumption of electricity. There's quite a range of packages. How exactly is the government or the Ministry for Social Affairs delivering these packages mm-hmm. to the right people? How is it finding them and, and getting the money to them? And how long is that going to take? So actually, the national government has their existing social protection program. So all beneficiaries will come from this database, this existing social protection program database. But then government uh, say that it's not enough. And indeed, it's not enough because the crisis hits not only the poor, but also the vulnerable. We mean by the vulnerable that it's actually up to the poverty line, but then with this crisis, they fall into poverty because of the crisis. So the beneficiaries will have a surge in, in terms of the numbers. So the national government then suggests to regional, to provincial and district level government to add or, or complement the social assistance program with the national social assistance and social protection program to right. reach more people, more, more vulnerable people. Right. So it's a case of people who are now falling in under that poverty line or, you know, mm-hmm. precariously hovering around it. Is it now up to them to reach out to the government and sign up for these programs? 
actually that is our suggestion as well but I think now government will do sort of diversification scenario for each program to reach the beneficiaries. We will go f- from the database, the, the existing database, and then the government at the local level, the village, and then the sub-district through the district level will verify the data. This is the problem with verification and validation data. So data from the bottom will go through back to the national database, but then they will need some time to adjust and then we'll go through all those verification again. And that's the problem. So people might see it's a bit, I mean, it's really long time to go because now complain from the people uh, such as in West Java, uh, some people who have already received the social assistance program from regional government, provincial government, and then the other who already on the list of national program haven't received any social assistance because this last time. I have been reading that there is a lot of red tape involved as you're describing it. There's all these going back and forth verification at various levels, uh, validation and authentication. It's not going to help. It's not going to stimulate anything if there's such a time lag. So what do you at Smeru, what do you recommend as a better way forward for the government? So it's complex things, but at the same time, uh, government should go fast. They should fasten their uh, validation and verification mechanism using all those scenarios or diversify the mechanism. They can use the database, the existing database, but then for some programs like for the small and medium enterprises, they can go to the e-commerce providers or telecommunication provider to get assistance how to reach the most vulnerable one, especially at the urban area. Right. There is this desperate need to expedite the process. Are the government doing anything in particular for small, really micro businesses to help them in this time? For those small and uh, micro businesses, actually, they have a program for uh, uh, credits. So they waive the small scale loan or credit for the, uh, and the other one, I think for the, the for the workers as well, uh, they call it what I mentioned before, Kartu Prakarja, but uh, it's a long debate here on those particular program because people see or uh, think that this is not the this is not appropriate program to handle or to face this crisis and and also there is a debate about the political economy around the program some millennial staff uh, of the government has already resigned two of those staff because of of this political economy around the program why is that? What What's the controversy? Because, because they involve in the, they have actually, they have their own businesses, the startup company, company. So the, this uh, presidential staff have their own uh, company and then the company included in the, in the tender of those uh, program, those yes. practical job. Right. And so potentially that then ends up delaying um, all these processes as well as you get sidetracked by the, by the debate and the controversies, the political stuff. So, one thing that you you know you do say in one of the reports that I've read from Smeru recently is that this time of crisis in Indonesia like elsewhere around the world can also offer some yeah. potential opportunities to make the systems that we're talking about here uh, social security and also healthcare in Indonesia more resilient and and better at what they do. Yes indeed because 
actually we do, we did have a, a very good experience from the last crisis from our last crisis even though it's it's quite a recent crisis this crisis is quite different but we uh, we did have any uh, good lessons a good experience from from asian financial crisis in 1998 to global financial crisis in 2008 so this is the momentum to strengthen our actually to strengthen our our social protection program the social safety net is not new for us because we already did that in in 1998 uh, because smeru is involved greatly on those program in impact evaluation of this program in uh, early 2000 so 1999 to 2000 so uh, we think that this this time this crisis will will provide any uh, good uh, momentum for us to strengthen the social protection program with those database, we have the existing database for, for social protection beneficiaries and how we strengthen this database right now uh, up to the local level, up to the regional, uh, provincial and district level to strengthen the verification, to strengthen the validation, how, how the mechanism people can, can go to register themselves something like that and using uh, uh, recent technology providing a platform from for people to register themselves yeah in this digitalized and can i just finally is this a process are you is are groups like smeru think tanks researchers like like your group are they being consulted by the government uh, you know in this process yeah we it, it's a direct and indirectly yeah so we kind of press the government to be more engaged and also to be more transparent with, with the people. But uh, at the same time, we don't want to criticize, but not uh, providing any, any solution. So uh, we do critics, but then we also provide any, any solution. That's what, what we, we are trying to do right now. Yeah. And what about to finish, you know, we started, we opened with what is the mood among Indonesians, which, you know, you said was, you know, fairly calm right now. And what about a sense of resilience within the Indonesian community of pulling together? That's something that, you know, from afar I've been seeing. Is that what you're also experiencing there? Yeah, I think, I think uh, Indonesian society, it's, it's in their, you know, resilience is part of our uh, daily life. Actually, uh, even though the government has has a commitment to to give the social assistance program, but then, but then actually in our in our neighbor is already there. Uh, the people uh, comes from the any institution or any religious institution, any charities has already uh, has already done their part. I mean, they help the, the vulnerable. They go to the very grassroots levels to to help the poor and vulnerable. Yeah, and the spirit of Goton Royong of yeah. you know helping out your neighbor is is I'm sure very strong right now as well. Yeah. But it's not enough. So we we do have uh, we do need. I mean, more. Even though it's it's helpful, but then we do 
we do need to have uh, more systematized systems, yeah? Mm. I mean, more comprehensive system to get the resilience of the people. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing there at Smeru and for speaking with us and all the best. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. Bye. That was Atia Yumna from Smeru Research Institute. Atia has more than 11 years' experience working in the development sector and conducting applied economic research in the areas of poverty, inequality, social protection and development economics. She's the lead author of a briefing paper published by Smeru Research Institute in April 2020 titled Social Safety Nets Amid the COVID-19 Crisis. What should the government do now? The Smeru Institute is an independent institution for research and public policy studies. Established in 2001, Smeru has been a leader in poverty and inequality research in Indonesia. You can find links to their website and publications from the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Talking Indonesia will return on the 21st of May, hosted by Dirk Thompson. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thank you.